0: Wow, that song, for me anyway, expresses like the uttermost cry of the devoted heart. Don't you yearn for that? Lord, let your light, let your grace, let your love shine on us, that we may then go on to shine our way in the darkest night, that we may be the light. And we're gonna see today The degree to which it all happens in the name of Jesus the degree to which we shine the light in the darkest night by just naming the name there's so much that the name of Jesus can do through you so much that they can be saying that they can be saying this about you as they already do with some of you it's what they said of Christ on Palm Sunday He wants them to say it of us as well. Blessed is he or she who comes in the name of the Lord. Because we bring the light of his love and so much else in his name. And today we'll see how this happens. It's all in the book of Romans if you turn there. And we'll be starting today in verse 6 of Romans chapter 10. But the righteousness based on faith speaks as follows. Do not say in your heart, who will ascend into heaven? That is to bring Christ down. Or who will descend into the abyss? That is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we are preaching. That if you confess with your mouth, Jesus... If you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes in him, in his name, will not be disappointed. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, abounding in riches to all who call on his name. For whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? How will they believe in him in whom they have not heard? And how will they hear without a preacher? And how will they preach unless they are sent, just as it is written? And then the verse that the great hymn we sang quotes, Our God Reigns, how beautiful, how lovely, are the feet of those who bring good news of good things. Though they did not all heed the good news, for Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? So, faith comes from hearing, and hearing by the word of Christ, through the name of Christ. You know, back when I was in seminary, we used to drive down into the inner city of Chicago on Friday nights, down from the north... Chicago's suburb of Deerfield, where we went to school, deep down into the heart of the city where it was all happening on the weekend, down to Rush Street. We went down to shine the light in the darkest night. They were basically street corner meetings, and we'd play guitars, and we'd sing, and we'd gather a crowd. We made a point of playing music that was welcoming and inviting to the secular person. And then having invited them to stop and listen, we'd welcome them by engaging them in conversation, however God would lead. As the Spirit led, we'd divide up and start talking to people about life and about the difference that Christ can make, just going with the flow of whatever was happening with them wherever they were in life. We'd be there from 10 p.m. to about 4 a.m. in the morning, and then we'd drag ourselves home, you know, as the sun rose, exhausted, but usually just, like, exhilarated. We ended up with so many stories to tell. One night on our way back to the car, we ended up on a dark side of a street of a dark street. We were on the right side of the street, and on the other side, on the left side, on the sidewalk across the street, coming in our direction was a couple who were walking uh, arm in arm. And then suddenly, out of nowhere, a van pulled around the corner, pulled up towards us, stopped right where they were, and out jumped five or six guys, and they started trying to pull the woman inside the van, trying to get her through the sliding door. Well, of course, her husband or her boyfriend or whoever he was tried to stop them, and then they turned on him. More like piled on him, rugby style, kicking him and beating him with their fists and with broken beer bottles. And there we were, kind of, you know, frozen in the headlights. For the first few seconds, it was like, this can't be real. It's only a movie. Lord, let just this be only a movie. But there we were, three of us, six of them, And what were we to do? Well, you wouldn't believe what happened then. But it's related to our verses for today, so you'll need to hold that thought. (laughs) Because that'll be the application. How's that for a teaser? You wouldn't believe what happened, and the reason it happened is in Romans 10. And so we'll look at the teaching first, and then we'll see what can happen when you put it into practice, this being one of uh, several stories that I'll share. What teaching? Well, we've been doing a series on our fifth value as a church, on engaging our world, uh, uh, and of doing it in a welcoming uh, and inviting way as we seek to know and show the enduring truth and love of Jesus Christ, as our mission says. Engaging our world has to do with shining the light and then sharing the truth. So far, Jim and Jeff have focused on different ways of being welcoming and inviting as we shine the light, starting with the way we treat one another. You might call that playing the music out of the, of the gospel, shining the light, shining the love, all out of Christ's passion for the lost, as Jim began by focusing on. Today, I'd like to talk about, we t- turn from shining the light to sharing the words of the gospel. The bottom line of which is very simple, as we'll see, and that is at the heart of it all, you just need to name the name. We need to give credit to where credit is due, or they'll just think we're nice people, and they'll give us the glory. If we don't cite the source, you know, of our light, of our love, we're plagiarizing the light, as though we are the authors of it. And this passage sums it up very simply. How beautiful, it says, are the feet of those who bring good news of good things. And then in the next verse, the last verse of our passage for today, Paul sums up the good news with a single phrase of giving credit to where credit is due. Faith comes by hearing, he says, and hearing by, and here it is, the word, not of me, but the word of Christ. Paul's saying, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the word of Christ. Not just generic good news. Elsewhere he says that it's beautiful for a certain kind of person. He said here in the second to the last verse, not all believed in Israel. In fact, many didn't. Because it's only beautiful for a certain type of person. He teaches in 2 Corinthians 2 that when we do this, when we speak of Christ, it's the aroma of Christ, of Christ himself. And he says it's a welcoming aroma of life to those who are being saved but it's also a rejecting aroma it's a stench to those who are not being saved just like in Israel as he says in Romans 10. Paul's saying here in Romans 10 that we need to believe it that whenever we bring the word of Christ it's a beautiful thing For those who God has prepared to receive it, it's welcoming and inviting, especially as we do share the the name as we shine the light. Because through the sharing of the word of Christ, He invites them in and welcomes them home. Overall, the application for today is deceptively simple when it comes to sharing the gospel. That you've been shining The heart of it is so simple That you just need to As I've titled this sermon Name the name It all flows from that Or you might call it Cite the source You need to cite your source And all that takes Is naming the name Just take that baby step And you're all but there You'll be hearing today about the most simple, the most powerful, the most memorable evangelistic method that you will ever learn. We can make it so complicated, trying to remember what to say, trying to figure out how to say it right, uh, um, getting, getting all tied up in knots as though it's all up to us, as though we're going to have to you know, sweet-talk them into becoming Christians or debate them into the kingdom to the point that we often never say anything. When in actual fact, you bring Christ near, the one who can then do all the rest, who opens the door for everything else to happen, you bring him near when you name the name. That's the teaching of Romans 10. Starting again in verse six. For the righteousness based on faith says, do not say in your heart, who will ascend into heaven? That is to bring Christ down through great feats of evangelistic passion. No. Who You don't have to say who will ascend into heaven to bring that Christ down. Now, we know that Christ is already here, that he's with us always, just like he promised, even to the end of the age. But what Paul's saying here is that there is something that brings the one who's already here in secret near in power. And how does that happen? Well, again, verse eight, the word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart, the word of faith that we proclaim. The idea being, when I proclaimed him to you, I sent him from my mouth to the very door of your heart and you received him into your heart and so now he's on the tip of your tongue too, the very person of Christ. And in verse 17, he calls this proclamation the word of Christ. And he's saying that when it comes to evangelism, you don't have to do the work. You just have to say the word. It almost goes without saying, but it really doesn't. He's always here. But his word brings him really near. The word of Christ, the word about Christ that we proclaim. And for it to be (laughs) the word about Christ, it goes without saying that the one word it's got to include of all you say is Christ. That's what Paul's saying. So if you want to boil it down to its bare essentials, the irreducible minimum when it comes to sharing Christ, the sine qua non, the without which you have nothing, is naming the name of Christ. This is at the heart of what's called the kerygma in the New Testament. This is the tip of an iceberg. The kerygma, which is the Greek word for for proclamation, a very special kind of proclamation, the kerygma is. It's a very special term, a powerful term, because the kerygma is the word or the preaching of Christ. It has to be spoken. It had to come from someone's mouth. It was always verbal and always audible. And it was always, you know, somewhat mystical, you might say, in the sense that it's invisible, but it is, like, mysteriously powerful. The proclamation of the gospel, the kerygma, is powerful uh, in an incarnational kind of way, because the word of the Lord brings the Lord of the word to the very door of the heart. That's the teaching, the word of the Lord brings the Lord of the Word to the very door of the heart. Kerygma. We may not be charismatic when it comes to the gifts of the Spirit, but we are called to be, you might say, kerygmatic when it comes to the gift of the Word empowered by the Spirit. And the degree to which we don't speak up, we are anti charismatic Because this charismatic proclamation of the word, as we call it, was the basis for everything that happened in the New Testament. It was so important. There are so many verses and passages on this, and there's not time to unpack it all, but D.S. Ferguson summed it up like this in the Evangelical Dictionary of Theology. He said that this charismatic or Christocentric proclamation was foundational to the beginnings of the Christian church. In the minds of the authors of the New Testament, there was no separation between the proclamation and the person. No separation between the proclamation and the person, between the word of Christ and Jesus of Nazareth, who lived, preached, died, and rose again from the dead. And then listen to this. For them, he indeed was the one who was alive in the word of preaching. That was the New Testament norm. That's what got it all started. But then slowly but surely, the word got buried. Century after century, buried under the traditions and the rites and the rituals of the Catholic Church. And it was muzzled, the word was muzzled by Latin Bibles that no one could understand and Latin masses and music that no one could understand. And a good part of the light of the world went out. That's why we call it the Dark Ages. And then, of course, came Martin Luther. And through him, the priority of the word of Christ became like the core teaching of the Reformation. From this very passage in God's revelation, he got it from Romans 10, Luther asked, where do we find the incarnate and crucified Christ today? Well, the answer came in the form of his theology of the word. He said, we find him when the word is preached, starting in the pulpit and spreading across the world through the witness of the priesthood. But it's got to start in the church, as Luther said. Above all else, the church must be the place where the word of God is spoken, the whole counsel of God. Therein lies the church's power he said because the preached word is how god is actively present or one of the biggest ways that he's actively present for for luther the absence of god's words of prophets who speak god's word was the same as the absence of god it, it must be at the center of the pastoral ministry and he said of the spiritual life of the believer in language that they can understand So he translated the Bible. If the Christian is to live in the presence of God, then that presence is primarily mediated through the presence of God's word as his spirit brings it to life. It's the moral force, it's the personal force, it's a supernatural force that goes to the deepest level of our being that comes to the door of our hearts and penetrates to our heart of hearts, piercing, as it says in Hebrews, to the division of soul and spirit, uh, comforting us and confronting us and changing us from the inside out. It's the word that does the work. Which is why Luther said, I will preach the word, teach it, write it, but I will constrain no man by force, for faith must come freely without compulsion. Take myself as an example. I opposed indulgences and all the papists, but never with force. I simply taught, uh, preached, and wrote God's word. Otherwise, I did nothing. And get this, while I slept, he wrote, or drank Wittenberg beer with my friends, the word so greatly weakened the papacy that no prince or emperor ever inflicted such losses upon it. I did nothing, God's word did everything. Luther's theology of the word was simple. God made the world by speaking the word. He made the world through Christ who is the word, so what greater power can there be in heaven and on our earth than on speaking the word of Christ? One of Luther's biographers put it this way. Luther's theology of the word and preaching stands at the center of the Christian life. Luther's view of the Christian life, like his view of the success of the Reformation, was rooted first and foremost in the overwhelming power of the preached word. And he himself put it most succinctly in his greatest hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God, my favorite stanza. And though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear, for God has willed his truth to triumph through us. The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him. His rage we can endure, for lo, his doom is sure. One little, what, word shall fell him. why our first value as a church is to be biblically grounded that is we stand on God's truth and dependence on his spirit reading studying as it says teaching and obeying the Bible as our foundation Calvin of course had the same emphasis that's why he said that the three signs of the church, which out, without which you don't have a church, of the three signs, the first and foremost is the preaching of the whole counsel of God, of the Word of God. And in so doing, and in so teaching, Luther and Calvin and Melanchthon and Zwingli and Wesley and Whitfield and all the others returned the church to its biblical roots because this was pr- precisely the priority of the early church. As I said... And the basis for all that happened, just like Luther said, I stood by while the word did the work. That's what Acts teaches. Acts 6-7, the word of God kept spreading, it says. And what happened as a result, the word of God kept spreading and the number of the disciples continued to increase and multiply. Acts 12, 24, the word of God continued to grow and be multiplied. Acts 19, 20, I love this. So the word of the Lord was growing mightily and prevailing. It was doing the work. All they needed was the word. And at the heart, uh, at the nuclear core of their proclamation of the word was their proclamation of the name. The name of the word of God. You find this too, all through the book of Acts. Is what Peter did in Acts three with the man who was born lame from birth. He said, I do not possess silver or gold, but what I do have, I give from to you. This is what you have in the name of Jesus, the Nazarene. Walk. And seizing him by the right hand, he raised him up. And when he explained what had happened, He said, essentially, he cited his source. He said, it was on the basis of faith in his name, not me. It is the name of Jesus which has strengthened this man whom you see and know, Acts 3.16. And the faith which comes through him has given him this perfect health. The name even created the faith through which he was healed. And so it is to this day. If we speak the name. And then in Acts 4, he said, by the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, whom you crucified and whom God raised from the dead, by this name, this man stands here before you in good health. And it says they warned them not to speak any longer uh, uh, to any man in this name. They warned him, but they kept doing it. And so in the next chapter, it says they flogged them and ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus. There's just something about that name when it's proclaimed that elicits all sorts of reactions. But they went on their way rejoicing that they had been considered worthy to suffer shame for his name. And to this day, his name is a trigger, as we well know, for better or worse. And for those who are being saved, it's his very welcome and invitation. Which is why, while our first value is to be biblically grounded, The heart of what it means to be biblically grounded is at the heart of our mission itself, that we seek to know and show the enduring truth and love of Jesus Christ. Just say it, and then you can sit back and drink Wittenberg beer with them. (laughs) Or at least that's the foundation. Not the beer, but the (laughs) words. Because, of course... It's not just for Peters to proclaim, not just for preachers. And if there's any weakness to the Reformed tradition, it's that too many Reformed churches ended up leaving it all up to the preacher, when in fact, you're all preachers. If there's any weakness in the Reformed tradition, it's that we've created another class of priests. We turned the pastor into the priest who alone can you know, bring men to God, when in fact now it's supposed to be the priesthood of all believers, a very important Reformed doctrine. Where are the unbelievers anyway? Yeah, they're here sometimes, and once in a while some are saved in here, as has happened over the last couple years, but basically they're out there in your parish. That's where the gospel needs to be preached, far more than in here. It's like Chuck Swindoll said, the church is the huddle where we're built up. And then we go out to execute the plays in the world And execute you can Because if you're a believer The spirit of Christ is in you And so you too bring him with you And you can unleash him through you By simply speaking the word When you do that you, It's like you give him feet He moves from where he was in your heart Through your mouth By his word to the very door of another heart. When in faith you say the word, you release the charismatic power of the logos, of the word of God into the world. To do whatever he needs to do whether to break down or to build up, whether to wound or to heal, whether to bring peace or a sword, whether for life or for death, we never know. Whether it's a provocation or, you know, the ultimate welcome and and invitation. That's his business. But he can't go into business in your sphere of influence unless you're willing to do it. Unless you're willing, as he decides, to suffer Possibly shame for his name. Because that'll happen too, especially these days. Yes, it will bring a curse from some. But from others, you'll get a blessing that will more than make up for it. You'll get shame from some, but from others, you'll get some, some fame. Who will end up saying of you on the Palm Sunday of their life, Blessed is he or she who came to me in the name of the Lord. I think a good part of the problem when it comes to evangelism is that if you're anything like me, deep down you feel like, it, like it's all on your shoulders. And that's because we don't fully appreciate <laughs> what we wield. So let me close with three brief stories that flesh this out. Stories that really deepen my own appreciation. A couple of years after I graduated from high school in April of 1974, I traveled through uh, India with my father. He was a regional director for South Asia for the navigators, and he he ended up pioneering the navigator work in India, which now has scores of navigator missionaries 40 years later. He ended up doing the same in China and Burma and Vietnam. He was a pioneer. Well, we were in South India, he was a Paul, and I saw that many times. while we were in South India in Bangalore, we were in this three-wheeler taxi. One wheel in the front, two in the back. And at one point, his brakes failed or something, and we were headed. They go far faster than they should at 40 miles an hour, straight into a busy intersection. As is often the case in India, it was like gridlocked with cars. And without a moment's hesitation, my father leapt to his feet and said, Jesus, save us, save us, Jesus. You know something? In that split second, I was embarrassed. I was embarrassed that he said that, even though I was about to die. It's like, I'd rather die than name the name. Which is about how it is sometimes. And you know what happened? Somehow we glided right through that packed intersection and ended up safely on the other side. In the name of Jesus. And you can be sure that that three wheeled taxi driver never forgot that name. My father wasn't charismatic by any stretch of the imagination, but I'm telling you, he was charismatic. (laughs) As in, I'll hail the power of Jesus' name. I was sitting in a dentist chair on Valentine's Day Eve, which is not my favorite pastime, so I was determined to, to, to make the best of it. I was angry I had to be there, and so that did a good thing in me and made me want to sh- at least share the gospel or say something. The hygienist and I got to talking about my wife, Julie, and she asked me if I was going to do anything special tomorrow. And I said, tomorrow, Saturday, why would I do anything special on Saturday? She said, tomorrow's Valentine's Day. And I said, oh, thanks for reminding me. Others were listening and they got a kick out of that one. Actually, I knew it. I had remembered it. I just want to lighten things up a bit. And we got to talking about religion. And she said, organized religion wasn't really much a part of her life. And I said, well, of course, the most important thing is not having a religion, but having a relationship with your Creator with Christ and then I could just feel it her heart opened up and she agreed with me and she said but you know if you're not part of a church it's awfully easy to forget things like that and I said yeah you're right that's true for me too by then she was done cleaning my teeth it was it was a very on and off again conversation The dentist came to check me out, and once he was gone, I got up, and she was on her way to another patient. But I stopped her and told her about our church. And she said, yeah, I've heard about it. And, you know, I don't know if she ever came, but you know something? That little conversation turned a corner when that one word hit the air and entered her heart. I could tell. I mean, we were pretty close, which is why I began by talking about Julie. But I just knew it because there's just something about that name. Back to the story I began with. At long last. So there we were. They had piled on him from the beat up old van and when he tried to rescue her, they, 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 again, they piled in onto him and the, there we were thinking, it's only a movie. It's got to be only a movie. And, but then... My friend to my left next to me, Greg Escher, started shouting something. He said, in the name of Jesus, peace, peace in the name of Jesus. And I turned, I thought, what are you doing? And then I thought, yeah, right. And before we knew it, all three of us were running across the street shouting, peace in the name of Jesus. We had no idea what we'd do once we got there. <laughs> and to this day, just like with that intersection, I don't know how it happened, but all of, somehow, all of a sudden, the poor guy was no longer at the bottom of the pile, but standing next to us, his face covered with blood, and they were lined up in front of us. And they were just standing there. And they had dropped their broken bottles, and they were trying to, con- to convince us that he started it. <laughs> They were defending themselves before the court. As though they knew instinctively who we represented, as every man does, who's created in his image. And woman. It was six against three. Humanly speaking, we didn't stand a chance. We had nothing but the name of Jesus, at whose name every knee will one day bow. Just like happened there. And then out of nowhere, the police pulled up. And it was like a spell was broken over this gang. And one of them broke away and he jumped in the van and yanked it into drive. And there we were standing right in front of the van, you know, and once again, it was only a movie. And once again, we were frozen in the headlights, but this time there was an officer standing by our side and he pulled out his gun and aimed it right through the windshield and it was a standoff. It's like a chicken, who's gonna go first? And we were praying. And finally the guy threw it into park and got out of the van and they handcuffed the whole lot of them and it was over. Question. Do you think that gang of men ever forgot the name of Jesus? Or the man under the pile? Or the woman? Do you think it, it would have planted a seed at the very least? For two of them, anyway, that night was like Palm Sunday. They were feeling it, that man and woman, to the core of their being. Blessed are they who came to us in the name of the Lord. How beautiful are the feet of those who brought to us the word of Christ. It's the very picture of how he rescues us. You know, I've shared these stories both from Scripture and from real life. Not, not to lay on a guilt trip that you're not preaching on the streets or whatever, but so you'd never forget what you wield wherever you are as you play the music of the gospel. It's so simple but so powerful. It's at the heart of what it means to share the words of the gospel. It's where it all starts It can be something as simple as saying, "Would you mind if I prayed for that?" and then praying in the name of Jesus. That touches people. Or telling your waitress, "We're about to pray for the food. Is there anything we can pray for you?" Deb Eng did this last week at her birthday lunch. Julie told me about this, and the waitress started crying. We don't have to do the work. We just have to say the word. And that can open the door to everything else because there's just something about that name remember the song bill and gloria gaither they were the ones that wrote it years ago jesus 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 there's just something about that name master savior jesus like the fragrance after the rain jesus 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 let all heaven and earth proclaim Kings and kingdoms Will all pass away But there's something about that name Let all heaven and earth proclaim Are you proclaiming Is it becoming Charismatic through you And then they go on and say this As the music played in the background Jesus the mere mention Of his name can calm the storm Heal the broken and raise The dead At the name of Jesus, I've seen sin-hardened men melt, derelicts transformed, the lights of hope put back into the eyes of hopeless children. At the name of Jesus, hatred and bitterness turn to love and forgiveness. Arguments cease. I've heard a mother softly breathe his name at the bedside of a child, delirious from fever, and I've watched that little body grow quiet and the fevered brow cool. I've sat beside a dying saint, her body racked with pain, who in those final fleeting seconds summoned her last ounce of strength to whisper earth's sweetest name, Jesus, Jesus. Emperors have tried to destroy it. Philosophers have tried to stamp it out. Tyrants have tried to wash it from the face of the earth with the very blood of those who claimed it, yet still it stands. And there shall be a final day, When every voice that has ever uttered a a sound, every voice of Adam's race shall raise one great mighty chorus to proclaim the name of Jesus. For in that day, every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. As the worship leaders come forward, they end with this. So you see, It wasn't mere chance that caused the angel one night long ago to say to a virgin maiden His name shall be called Jesus, Jesus, Jesus There is something about that name Why don't we all stand together Let's stand now and give credit to where credit is due.